This is the Delivery Space Podcast. Whether you're interested in software delivery, business change or transformation, we have some great content lined up for you. We launch into different areas of project delivery and bring you insights and experiences that you won't get from a book. My name is Nisha Joshi and this is our episode on Scrum or Kanban. Does it have to be a choice? We have a very special guest on to discuss this topic today. Hey, Helen, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm very well. Helen, Queen of Kanban, would you like to introduce yourself (laughs) to our listeners? Glad to see you using my formal name there, the Kanban Queen. (laughs) Um, So my name is Helen and I'm an Agile coach and trainer and I do everything really to help organizations evolve their ways of working. So I really love to work with clients and more especially individuals where I can help people grow and learn and thrive and be awesome at what they do. So, and I work for a company called Ripple Rock and I've been there 10 years now. So a huge amount of time, Um, but I enjoy working with them and I call them my work family. Nice. So... Let's get straight into it with our first question, Helen. Does it have to be one or the other? Or is it more of a scrum and a Kanban scenario? Long story short, you can just do both at the same time. And how is that possible? Describe some scenarios, Helen, because I know you've, you've kind of brought these practices in and it's also part of one of the fundamental principles of Kanban. So talk us through how how have you approached this? So this is a common like misconception out there that it has to be one or another, like it's some form of competition. Yeah. And it really isn't. Um, Kanban, one of its sort of founding principles is that you start with what you do now. So if you're using Scrum, then learn about Kanban and think about the principles and the practices starting from that start with what you do now. So it's not about massive change everything, do this, do that, get new job titles. It's actually a different way of thinking about designing your board, your system, limiting your work in progress. And you can do all of these things on top of your Scrum way of working. And then what you can do is evolve and work out the stuff that's helping you evolve and not. And it doesn't even have to be Scrum. You can start from a waterfall way of working or JFDI where you have absolutely no process and then you apply this Kanban thinking on top of it. So it really doesn't have to be kind of like mutually exclusive. One is not better than the other. They've got different purposes to be able to help you to do your work. That's quite fascinating. And the way you describe it to me immediately makes me think about scrum teams um, and what they what what they go through what their experience is what prompts them to look at uh, and start applying some kanban principles so what what have you found when you've when you've come in touch with them well there's the good and then there's the bad so the bad being people quite often come to you and they'll say things like our product owner cannot create enough stories for two weeks worth of work And so this is what I call a bad thing, because in reality, Kanban is going to hide that for a short period of time. So fix your problems that you've got in Scrum. Mm. They might also come to you and say, oh, Kanban's got less meetings. 
but you still have to refine you still have to get work ready you still have to show somebody and so again that's a misconception about it so quite often people who want to switch into kanban do it because of bad reasons or trying to hide things or thinking that it's simpler on the outside kanban does look like all of those things but in reality you have to be more disciplined and you have to come up with your own ways of working so many times even though i'm there to help them and they want to move my answer is fix the dysfunctions that you've got because otherwise they're still going to be prevalent in, in whatever you adopt moving forward so that's the bad mm-hmm. the good is Maybe teams are changing the nature of their work. Maybe they're working on something where information requirement is changing frequently. And so therefore a two week prioritization period, for example, is not gonna work for them. Mm. Maybe they're working in service support where it's more reactive and things change on a daily basis. Um, Maybe they have not got a group of people that can work in a cross-functional co-located team and so therefore they have to have something a little bit more distributed. So Kanban can help you in all of these instances um, and it's going to help you to see the things that then need to improve to bring, bring these teams together. And there is another misconception that Kanban is just about like support. Um, But in reality, Kanban can be used in product development, wherever there is stuff that needs to be created, whether it's software or not. And so these are real valid reasons why teams might want to kind of like move towards a more Kanban way of working. Or maybe they're just ready to start creating their own processes and evolve this stuff for themselves. That's also another valid pattern where people want to change. The only thing that I say is, I don't mind whether you do Scrum or whether you do Kanban, just do it to its full potential. Don't, you know, pick the bits that you like and then say it doesn't work. Really kind of like utilize what's there for you. Yeah. And when we first started speaking, Helen, one thing that struck me that you mentioned was that when you go in there and you start speaking to clients about their agile ways of working, let's say, first of all, without reference to specific frameworks you you start by looking at what their level of current practice is so kind of there's no place to hide guys if you're using scrum are you using scrum properly are you using scrum to the fullest extent being true to its values and principles and its practices if you're not then you have these behaviors to correct first before you start looking out towards any other framework or god forbid even scaling because you're going to be taking those behaviors with you. Yeah, absolutely. None of these are a silver bullet, but what they are designed for is showing you all of the challenges and the problems that you're going to have within your organization. And so using these are going to highlight this fact. And then we have to use that organization and ourselves to, you know, be leaders ourselves and solve some of these challenges and these problems. So, yeah, you need to make sure you're doing it to the full potential because whatever then happens is people say, oh, well, Scrum or Kanban didn't work. But that's because, you know, they weren't really kind of like putting it into their full. Mm. But saying that, it's not the be all and end all of everything that we do because Kanban and Scrum is not the answer to everything. What we should be looking at is what is the challenges that the organization is facing? What are they trying to achieve? Because your leader probably doesn't really care, you know, what method you do. He's looking for a return of investment, happy customers, greater sales, happy stakeholders and or shareholders, if that's what they are. 
And so we kind of have to find a way to merge these two worlds together, the agile advocates, but also the kind of people that are trying to evolve and grow their businesses. So mm. be mindful of what it is you're trying to achieve and use these these tools to be able to help you to deliver that within your teams and organizations. Yeah, and it's also to, I guess, translate that and bring that back to the team so the team appreciates, hey, we're together for, for this purpose. And let's look at frameworks so that our behaviors and the way we interact with each other, the way we communicate, the way we visualize that work, the way we appreciate our capacity, um, you know, can all be linked back to that purpose and the either the, the level of urgency and the timeline for that purpose as well, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, you know, so Kanban wants to have quite a low barrier to entry because they want people to start using it and to get value from some of its principles and practices, which you can apply on top of it. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding out there about what Kanban really is. And you'd be amazed how many times, Nisha, people say to me, oh, it's just about moving post-it notes. When in reality, it's a whole system of thinking about how we do work. Um, So I think, you know, knowledge is going to help people understand what they can do. And I think we've never seen Kanban adoption so high as we are now because more people are kind of finding cases where maybe a more Kanban based method would be able to help them in their evolution of their teams or organization. Yeah. And also some of those uh, practices, those Kanban practices, interlacing them with Scrum is not a bad thing. Do you know what? I wish I had you um, as a voice in my ear when I was working with Scrum teams. And we've spoken about this before, where all the pressure and and we've not got proper appreciation of the capacity of our testers. So, you know, all the pressure within um, a particular sprint ends up on the testers at the right at the end because we've not monitored work in progress we haven't put the right policies in place for the entry and exit points between kind of each area of the board so it's those things reflecting back on that I think actually some of these practices at that time would have helped we got there in the end and we improved the communication which is what did it but these practices help to visualize it helps to hold a mirror up right with yeah. data so it's not just a feeling a fluffy thing you say actually do you know what a bunch of testers are saying hey developer crew within our team you're just lobbing the you know the changes that you're making over the fence to the testers too late why are you doing that towards you know three four days left at the end of a sprint and then causing a bit of a a backload if you like um you know and pressure on the testers it becomes you you can actually talk to data um, and that can only help to improve behavior i think absolutely and one of our you know core values is balance so it's balance across that whole system and quite often you find you've got more devs, less testers, and so you don't have that balance. And this is where those buffers can help you to see the buildup of problems. Yeah. But like you alluded to, you know, you can look at some of your insights to understand, well, if things sit in the ready for testing column, how long do they sit there? And that's a lost opportunity that we could get delivered and start earning some value from. Mm-hmm. So, you know, understanding, you know, how that work flows through that system is super crucial But also bear in mind that a lot of people don't want that level. They see it as scrutiny. Um, But in reality, we're just trying to improve the flow of things to get the balance, to get that value to the customer sooner. Can we explore that a bit more? So some, you know, yes, they can see it as scrutiny. You're obviously 
a, a, a promoter of this way of working because you've seen it give organizations really good big brands that have got some great setups out there um, and mature practices get great results but you'll still fa face resistance Helen when you go into clients for, for this way of working and how do you overcome that resistance how do you say this is not about policing it's actually about helping you understand and get bit more efficient in terms of how you're organizing yourself and working as a team yeah and this is the bit that i love because i love those people that are resistant makes it more fun now they didn't come to work that day and said i'm going to push back on all helen's ideas because she's terrible right. something has happened some learned behavior be it in the current organization in a previous organization where they've had their ass kicked for something or dark data you know like shown in their face and said you're not doing so well yeah. so that's pain that people are feeling so you have to appreciate that as a coach, understand those worries and concerns, and you have to create a psychologically safe environment where they can learn, fail. And that's another reason why I never call it metrics. Oh, God, I hate that word because it's not metrics. I call them insights. And insights have stories and there's a story behind every single little data point. And data is not the answer to everything. It's just one view of it. Mm. So all of this stuff, over time you can build some of that safety to help people understand that it's okay to not have such a good one but as long as we know about it and we can do something about it then we can evolve so for me it always starts off with the individual what's the thing that they're seeing feeling hearing which is causing them to have this reaction and that's where coaching can help to understand what that thing is and then maybe we need to do something together to, to kind of like help evolve yeah and I think taking the time out to sense those pockets of resistance, because as you say, people have experienced that pain and, and your intention is to make them as high performing as possible. But you can't do that without really being being empathetic and having that compassion towards people's past experiences. Gosh, it yeah. paints quite a grim picture if you're if you're there saying, right, we want you to attend these scrum meetings. By the way, we're going to overlay them with a whole load of these metrics, as you call it, which is I don't think is effective language. You're absolutely right, because then we're going to start measuring you by that as well. And to take that approach is very cold um, to a team that you want to establish a really good relationship with. And let's face it, feel good about what they're producing, right? Yeah. And Kanban is a very data rich method. I think that's why I love it so much. Yeah. Um, but remember... First principle, start with what you do now. Mm. So the reason why that's our first principle is because we want a really low, like, kind of resistance to people coming into this world. We want them to experiment and try things differently. By changing roles, responsibilities, you're attacking people's social identity. And so therefore you have more resistances mm -hmm. by telling them they have to work in a different way. That's kind of like changing things that they've learned and been doing probably, you know, for the God last 20 years. So we start with what you do now and understand all of that stuff, which means we can move into a Kanban way of thinking. doesn't mean that we don't change that stuff eventually. It's just we don't want to put people where they feel that they have to be able to resist that change. Mm. And I think because we don't have like do this, do that, that's why people think, oh, Kanban is the easier method. But that's where I say you have to be more disciplined yeah. because we have to create ways of working ourselves. 
Yeah, and I like that discipline. I like that rigor behind it because that is what gives you the data that you could really rely on to say, all right, next sprint, what are we going to do to make us make us even more efficient, even more better, um, and able to serve our clients in a better way? But also, something you said there makes me made me think about innovation because you need to create, you need to have a certain level of discipline to be able to make to be able to look at where you can improve. But one of your principles, start with what you do now. And the other one is around gaining um, gaining pr- approval to pursue that improvement, right? So that you're bringing the team on board with that experimental mindset. So guys, we, we want to experiment. Let's try this and see how it works. Doing that actually starts creating that space for innovation and trying new things. So what you're seeding are different behaviors just by living your principles are you not yeah Yeah. i completely agree and we still have retrospectives so um we have like different levels of improvement that you can do within kanban systems and this stems back to the kanban maturity model the kmm and so in the beginning Retros are really super useful. People process tools, improvement, giving people time and space to be able to go out there and innovate new ways of working. And as we evolve through the Kanban maturity model, we can then do cool things like overlaying some of this flow data. And so we can have a look at, you know, how long, how much we getting through, how happy are our customers. Mm -hmm. And then we can evolve it into what consumers of our services are actually seeing. So Kanban gives you that that base point, but then it helps you to see how you can evolve upwards to be able to get like, consistent results for your business time and time again. So absolutely, we want to be able to improve the same way that, you know, Scrum is inspect and adapt, where I've got, you know, the same kind of like mentality, mm-hmm. because it's through that continuous evolution that we're going to get better at what we're doing but Mm. also it's about not just thinking internally to the team it's thinking about actually if my team has to interact with a customer other teams to get things delivered that's what we call a whole service within Kanban so rather than thinking just in our small world we have to think about the smoothing the flow of that delivery across all of those pieces and I think that's what interests me as well. Awesome. That leads me on to my next question in terms of leadership. Now, sometimes, well, quite often you need leadership buy-in to be able to introduce and also encourage new ways of working, new behaviours that we want to instill to see the improvements and serve our end users and, and customers better. How do you go about ensuring that you have the, the leadership buy-in that you need to support this effort? And when you say leaders, like what type of, because I see there's multiple leaders within an organization. You've got your scrum masters, you've got the people that sit in the middle, you've got your seniors. Who, who are you thinking here? At all levels. So scrum all levels. masters generally should be bought into this because they will yeah. be of that way of thinking. Um, and yeah, and, and be able to fully understand. Helen turns up on the scene talking about, um, you know, Kanban and, and some of those great practices they could put in place. I get you, Helen. I know exactly where you're going with this and I know it's going to improve the health of our performance. But then there are um, middle managers There could within an organisation, obviously uh, department leads, senior um, C-suite level is mainly where I'm where I'm think the, the groups that I'm thinking of. 
Yeah, so everybody has to buy into this. This isn't just a team thing. They have to do that because in reality, the teams are the easiest part of my job because they're they're up for experimentation. They'll do whatever you ask them to do. Um, So that's the easy bit. In reality, it's the middle layer kind of like that causes some of those resistances for whatever reason. I've got some ideas, Um, but for me you have to buy in all of those different layers into the journey that you're going to go upon and so that might mean that there's education at all of those different levels but also as a coach and i touched upon it earlier you want to be able to understand what it is that they're trying to do so is the ceo interested in time to market is he interested in you know happier customer what, what do they want because if they're going to invest in this then they have to get something in return for it you know mm-hmm. that's still kind of like the way it works so sometimes I say you have two like languages I talk to the teams probably more in my scrum and kanban language but in organizational leadership it's the outcomes the things that they want to see that's demonstrable and how we're going to actually then um, deliver on those things so you have to find a way of communicating and like contracting with both of all of those different parties to be able to get the results that they want. And I think showing the results, championing the people that are doing the work, regular coaching sessions with all of those different people, um, letting them know it's okay to fail mm. and helping them along in that process. These are all key things that I'm kind of like thinking about, but everybody needs to be bought into that that journey and it's not uncommon to see really bad behaviors at the top when the going gets tough they shovel it downwards and then people feel as if they have to revert to type so we have to be that glue in between to be making sure that these behaviors are are changing but then they also see the value of of actually being different and treating teams differently and getting the results from it And the dialogue is open, right? It's not just a one-time team contract that you build at the start of, you know, the, the working on your product development, whatever you're producing. It's a continuous checking in with those stakeholders to say, you know, we're on track or this is what we're producing. How is your world evolving and using kind of, I guess, the product management layer as well as the glue? Yeah. And I think what we can also do is we can start getting better at language because so many times Mm. I hear leaders say to me, we want to be faster. We want to get more out. Well, what do we mean? So Mm. we can help ourselves here and say, well, actually, we deliver an outcome every three months. Like how how fast do you really want it? You know, if, if we can deliver it faster than that, then what are you prepared to invest to be able to get us there? So. I think we could do a lot to start changing some of the ways that we try, like communicate with some of our teams and be really clear about what do we mean when we say faster, greater quality, more, all of these things. And so that takes a little bit of education because I know the leaders mean really well, but sometimes the language they use is incongruent to the teams and how that they want to work. So yeah. it's just continual like poking and making sure everybody's moving in the same direction. So it is continual. And if there's a change of leader, you effectively have to go back to the beginning, start again, rebuild those relationships. And that's the thing that causes challenges to agile implementations. Mm, Because those leaders will have their own ways of doing things. 
the the kind of uh, the ethos or way ideas around ways of working, um, impressions of teams, imprints, if you like, on all different levels that they bring with them from previous organisations. And sometimes it's it's they're adaptable, um, but sometimes they also have fixed ideas, which makes it really tricky. I think. Yeah, well, I always try and put myself in their position. I, I totally get all of that and I'm like super agile all the way. But when I channel their inner feelings, they're coming in from another organization where the expectations are really high on them. Mm-hmm. They're getting paid probably hundreds of thousands of pounds to come in and, and shake things up, make a difference. Oh, yeah. And I always joke that like C-level people always come in and change something in the first three months because they do. But the reason why they do that is because they need to be seen to be springing into action because otherwise the board is going to be like, well, what's going on with this person? So it's a product of the environment and they're under as much pressure to perform and demonstrate change as we are. And quite often we just see that as them kicking the teams. And so I think as I've got older, I've got a great appreciation of the pressure that they're under as well. But we can help soften some of that language. But also be really open and transparent. So show them what we're doing. Look at all of the good stuff. Here are our challenges. This is where I need your help with. Mm -hmm. And I think we sometimes fail to do that, which means they jump to conclusions. Yeah. And there seems to be a barrier sometimes I've seen. And you're right. It is it is influenced by the culture for the teams actually asking for help. So you get a whole load of requests coming down to the teams. The teams are like, oh, I need to hold on. I need to I need to I need to try and deliver this stuff. But then they don't feel like they can ask for help. And I think as coaches, we should be there to say, actually, you can and we can translate this, ask for help in this way that can be understood, that can be heard. And so we can help lighten the load on you guys because at the end of the day it's about mental health right we all want to guard each other's mental health and we don't appreciate how how really responsible we are as as coaches we do carry a responsibility to make sure that the team's actually working at its best and not feeling like they can't ask for help when they need it yeah yeah i completely i completely agree and also I, i always say you know as a as an external person really doesn't matter to me if I get fired so you know like if I can go in there and have a conversation which would be potentially be difficult and raise maybe a few things that need to be made aware of you know that's easier for me to do as an external than it is potentially for somebody on the inside so no one's ever fired me yet though um, so but I think that that also gives people a little bit of hope that some of their messages can be passed across yeah absolutely um I would have loved to have had you on our team to help me overcome some of the challenges that I know I've faced. Even while speaking with you, I'm replaying a couple in the back of my brain. So, um, yeah, um, it would be awesome to get you back, Helen, for a part two, um, even if it is to do a little masterclass with people so that, you know, they're aware of how you can actually act as a translator. Yeah, no, I'd love that. I think, you know... A lot of people helped me in my career get to be like where I am today. And I think little things like, you know, helping people, podcasts where people can get knowledge for free. All of these are really fantastic tools and resources which enable us to be awesome at what we're doing. Um, So, yeah, I'd love to come back and speak to you again. 
Thank you so much, Helen. You've given me a lot of takeaways to um, add to my practice, even after speaking with you for 30 minutes. If people want to get in touch with you, Helen, work with you, um, have a conversation about your practice and learn more, uh, what's the best platform? Um, so I'm on Twitter, um, Helen underscore J underscore Meek, or I'm on LinkedIn. You know, my email is probably out there in public domain. There's lots of ways you can get in contact with me. And you know what? I love it. I love it when people come to me and say, can you have a look at this or can I just talk to you? Um, And I'm totally open for that because I really enjoy working with people. And to see somebody evolve is the thing that's probably most important to me over than any salary that I can get. Um, And so reach out to me because I'd love to have a chat and hear about some of their challenges that they're facing. Thank you, Helen. That has been an awesome session. Um, Thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. We hope that you got as much out of this session as I did. Please follow us on our socials and make sure that you subscribe so you don't miss out.